Now, we have some minutes left, and I think I'd like to address here a question by Nick. It's a very rich one. It deserves a very long answer. I'm going to see if I can squeeze it into no, no more than 15 minutes. Nick raised the interesting and very important issue of preliminary practices. What are they? Can I give some explica explication of them? First of all, in terms of when we speak, speak of ngundo or ngundo nga, the five preliminary practices, now we've definitely entered into tradition. Tradition. There are not six preliminary practices, there are five. How many, and so, how many do I have to do? There's the question that comes up. How many do I have to do? 100,000. You, you ask the question, well, you deserve it. Now you get an answer. <laughs> Too bad for you. You asked the wrong question. <laughs> so we're going to give you an answer. 100,000 of all of them and make it snappy. Okay. And so we whip out, we whip out, you know, we, we get the, the proper pan and turn it upside down and we buy some rice and we buy some stones and buy stuff and say, 100,000 of Mount Meru and the Four Continents, huh? Okie dokie. 100,000. Do I need to do the long or the short? Can I do the short one or can I have to... Do, I don't have to do that long one, 100,000 dollars. I want to accrue merit, but let's not get carried away here. Can I just get just as much merit with the short one as the long one? I really like the short one. In fact, if I can just say, oh, ma hung, I'd really, I, in fact, I'd really like to not do this at all. Can I just skip it? Because I don't even believe in Mount Maru. Where the hell is it? And the four continents? Give me a break. What I'm, why don't I just visualize cartoons? And so I'm not ridiculing the practice. I'm ridiculing an approach to the practice. Is how much do I got to do? How much do I got to do before I've accrued enough merit to say I've finished my preliminaries and get on with what I really wanted to do? So these were the questions. This is a bit of satire here, but these were the questions asked of the Dalai Lama when I had the first glorious opportunity to interpret for him in 1979. It was his first European tour to teach. He came six years earlier to learn from the wise people of the West. That was his agenda when he came in 73, to learn from the wise people of the West. He came in 79 to teach. And my, te my own teacher, Geshe Rapten, invited him. And his first teaching place was our monastery in Switzerland. And Geshe Rapten told me I would be his interpreter. So I was, before 5,000 people. Quite a number of them were bilingual, and I was scared as hell. <laughs> but it was not a complete catastrophe. And then I went to Zurich. We went down to Greece. And His Holiness visited this little tiny center. It was somebody's home. And they'd had this marvelous Lama, Kalurambache, come and, come and visit there and told them to do preliminary practices. And they said... We, have, we were told we have to do this, and we don't really want to do it, but we're told to have to do it, and what do you say? And His Holiness's response was, these preliminary practices of reciting, doing 100,000 prostrations, 100,000 Vajrasattva, 100,000 Mandala, 100,000 Guru Yoga, 100,000, let's say, Bodhicitta, is that these, these are not preliminary practices to Buddha Dharma. You don't recite 100,000 Vajrasattva before you know, know the Four Noble Truths. Or recite, you know, offer 100,000 mandal offerings before you know what the nature of suffering and the causes of suffering are. These are not preliminaries to Buddha Dharma. These are preliminaries specifically for Vajrayana practice. And they assume you already have a solid basis in the foundational teachings of the Buddha Dharma. And that is the Four Noble Truths and the Three Principles of the Path. Renunciation, Bodhicitta, and an authentic view of reality. He said, that's what he said. And so if you want to know what are the real preliminaries as you're venturing into the Buddha Dharma, well, how about the Four Noble Truths and the Three Principles of the Path? And when you've established a solid foundation there of both understanding and practice and experience, then go for that more rarefied level of preliminary practices for Vajrayana, and now these practices can be enormously beneficial and meaningful 
And you may not ask silly questions like, how much do I have to do? In the Galupa tradition, they have a really good answer to that. You do these until you're a Buddha. There's not so much emphasis, from the teachings I received, not so much an emphasis of, okay, just do 100,000 of the guru, some guru mantra, you know, Tsongkhaba's mantra or Mikzema or what have you, and then you're finished with it. But in the Jorduk, the six-phase six preliminary practice, you just do this until you're enlightened. What do you think? You're going to be finished with purifying until you're a Buddha? You think you're going to be finished accruing merit until you're a Buddha? What are you thinking? And if this practice is worthwhile, if it's meaningful, if it speaks to your heart and mind, and it's a marvelous practice, well, do it until you're enlightened. Enlightened? Why would you think anything else? So I think this has often become overly ritualized. And especially when it's taught to people with hardly any basis at all, it looks to me like just, you know, invitation to blind faith land. And maybe it's still beneficial, and maybe it's not. I'm not so sure. I think it differs from one individual to the next. But I was reflecting on this this afternoon, and that is, what are the preliminaries to the path? For example, for shamatha. Now, Kalur Rinpoche, when asked, which should we do first? And this was in 1986 in San Francisco. Richard Barron, a fine translator, was interpreting. I heard it only by recording, but I listened closely, because it was a question I was very interested in. Someone asked from the audience at the San Francisco Zen Center, which shall we do first? Shall we first practice and accomplish shamatha, or shall we do the preliminaries? And then the classic preliminaries. 100,000 this, 100,000 bumga. And Kalur Rinpoche said, well, if you do the, these preliminaries, all five sets of 100,000, if you do those first, and then you, pre, then you apply yourself to practicing shamatha, which he said is indispensable, by the way, he said, by accruing great merit and purifying obscurations, then when you come to the shamatha, there'll be far fewer obstacles and be much greater inspiration, juice for the practice. Your shamatha will go much better. And then he said, on the other hand, if you practice shamatha first and achieve it, and then you bring that quality, I'm paraphrasing here, but very closely, and then you bring that quality of stability and vividness to your vajrasattva practice, the guru yoga, the bodhicitta, and so forth, they'll be so much more powerful so much more transformative. They will really purify. They will really accrue enormous, accrue enormous merit. They will do what they were designed to do. So then you choose. And he turned it right back to the audience, which I think is marvelous, really wonderful. So, but as I was reflecting on this, what are the, so if, if I were asked, what are the preliminaries for shamatha practice? What are the preliminaries? And I came up with an answer this, this, this afternoon. I was thinking, since Nick gave me this question earlier, that I give a little discourse on the four thoughts that turn the mind, reflecting on the preciousness and rarity of a, of a fully endowed human rebirth, reflecting on impermanence and death, reflecting on the nature of karma, and reflecting on the nature of, of dukkha, of suffering. These are four thoughts that call the lodok namji, the four thoughts that reverse your attitude. Reverse it away from fixation on samsara, on hedonic pleasure. I just need to be clever enough, lucky enough, and samsara will be a really happy place to utterly reverse that around, become radically and irreversibly disillusioned with samsara, with leading, pursuing happiness while the mind is utterly encumbered with mental afflictions and turning the mind 180 degrees opposite to the pursuit of liberation and enlightenment. That's what those four thoughts that turn the mind are about. But it begins with, so I'm going to refer to these only briefly and then get to some new preliminary practices. Brand new ones. You'll really love my Alan Wallace religion. I think you, maybe I can get some converts. That if you are living in Tibet in the 11th century and you're raised in a Buddhist culture, 
You're living in Tibet in the 18th century, the 19th century, you're raised in a Buddhist culture where people believe in reincarnation like you and I believe in gravity or electromagnetic fields or radiation. Do you believe in radiation? Do you believe that when you drop a nuclear bomb or an atomic bomb, do you think radiation harms people? I bet you've never seen anybody be harmed, but do you believe it? And I'll bet there's not, a, there obviously it's not a person in this room that doesn't believe in radiation. How many of you have seen radiation? Nobody, but we certainly believe it and for very good reason. Right? As we believe in radiation and gravity and electromagnetic fields and so forth, traditional Tibetans believe in reincarnation and karma. It's like, why would anybody doubt this? All of the wisest people in our culture for hundreds of years have believed it, they've ascertained it, they've taught it, and they know from their own experience, the great yogis, why should I, I doubt it? That's stupid. And so if you have that type of faith, as you and I have faith in radiation and viruses, you ever, ever really seen a virus? I don't mean a photo of a virus, I mean an actual virus. But we believe in viruses, right? Well, so do they believe in spirits and believe in a lot of things that we don't see. If you have that type of conviction, that type of confidence of reincarnation and karma in particular and your own Buddha nature, and then you reflect upon the 18 qualities of having a precious and rare, fully endowed human life, it really can transform. If you have that confidence and you, and you meditate on death and impermanence, it can really transform and not lead to morbidity and helplessness and fear and all of that, like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. No, just, boy, I'm going to die. And then likewise reflecting on karma, well, if we don't believe in reincarnation, karma is crap. It just doesn't mean anything. Because what, what goes around doesn't always come around in this lifetime. A lot of really real gangsters live long, long lives, they die of old age, surrounded by their loved ones. You know, we know that's true. And likewise for dukkha. Why dwell on dukkha, you know, if there's no out? And so, if one is raised in such a culture, I think, or has such, by one way or another, maybe past life imprints, has a great deal of faith, these can be wonderfully transformative. But if one is vacillating, just not because one is stupid or one is hyper-skeptical, one says, I haven't seen the evidence yet, I'm just open-minded, but I'm not persuaded yet that there's reincarnation, let alone karma, that's a, that's a big ball of wax. That's a very complex topic, and I don't understand it. For one thing, why should I believe something I don't understand? And so I'm open, I'm interested, but I can't say I already have confidence in that. You know, many people will say that. So how, if you're uncertain, how can you say, well, I'm just going to pretend I'm certain and full speed ahead? That doesn't strike me as a very skillful approach. And that's not the one that Buddha Shakyamuni himself insisted upon. When he went to Sadhanat, he sure as heck did not say, okay, you five, his five former companions, get, get cracking with 100,000 prostrations. I'll wait, I can patient. I'll be waiting about a year and a half here, but make it snappy, because, you know, life is short. 100,000 mandala, prostrations, guru yoga, vajrasattva, and when you finish, then I'll give you my teachings. You know, he, boy, did he not say that. He didn't also say, okay, you five, you have 18 qualities of precious human birth. I want you to meditate on that first for a good deal of time, and, and then these other three thoughts that turn your mind. He didn't say that either. There are three preliminary practices Three preliminary practices. You ever heard of three preliminary practices? Okay, here comes my new dharma. You ready? Alan Wallace Dharma. A new sect of Buddhism is about to be born. Mark the date, the time, the occasion. The three preliminaries are the first three noble truths. They are the preparation for the fourth noble truth, which is the path. Why should we practice dharma? What's the preliminary? dwell upon, realize, fathom, come to know the reality of suffering. Inspect it deeply, inspect it broadly, 
Really penetrate to it. Investigate carefully as if your life depends on it, which it does. Can you be confident that your suffering will absolutely be terminated at death? If you can be absolutely certain of that, okay, live accordingly. If you can't, check it out because you are betting your life on what do you think, whatever you think about that. What happens to at death is an enormously important issue and to blow it off as intrinsically metaphysical is just lazy. Not so simple. Fathom the reality of suffering that you as a full-scale participant in reality are subject to. Know it. Don't cover it over. Don't anesthetize it. Don't block it. Don't turn away. Face it. Know it as completely as you can. Fathom the reality of suffering. Know what you're up against. Since we all already care about it. He wasn't asking us to start believing about, you know, first believe in God and now care about that. Try to care about God. Try to love God. Don't have to go there. Try, to, try if you can to not want suffering. Anybody has to try on that is probably brain dead. And so there we are. We already care about it. Since you already care about it, fathom what you care about that you love to be free of and know it as fully and as richly and deeply as possible as, as you can. Those are the symptoms. Know the symptoms as fully because the stakes are high here. Know the full range of the symptoms. Know them. And now penetrate through, recognizing that virtually anything may catalyze suffering. What are the root causes? And now you have to be smart. You have to apply your full intelligence. This is not called call for blind faith or just belief or authority of the Buddha. You check it out. Check it out carefully, precision, and come to some certainty that you really know what fundamentally are the causes that make you vulnerable. First of all, in the mind, why should anything ever make you unhappy? Check it out. And then why should we bear such excruciating pain or be vulnerable to such? Is that absolutely necessary simply because we are embodied? Check it out carefully. Might we be so vulnerable to physical pain because we are closely holding onto these five skandhas? And because we closely hold onto them, we are thereby to that extent vulnerable. Check out the second noble truth. And then check out the third noble truth. Are we intrinsically crippled, intrinsically distorted, afflicted? Is this just the way we're made because of evolution, genetics, brain chemistry? God made us that way. Is it so or not? Are our mental afflictions intrinsic to our very identity? Is it like trying to take black out of coal? Or is it like taking stains out of a cloth? And check this one out really carefully, because everything hinges on that. If you're intrinsically screwed up, then all you can hope for is an anesthetic. And that is the assumption of the world, fundamentally. Get over your nasty neuroses and your nasty psychoses, but beyond that, the general assumption is we're just made this way. That human beings are angry, we're prone to anger, we're prone to arrogance, we're prone to craving, hostility, and jealousy, and we're made that way, and there's not a doggone thing we can do about it. And that's the working hypothesis pretty much outside of the Buddhist fold, with some exceptions, important exceptions. I think it's actually outside of the fold of many of the great religions, but sometimes it gets uh, covered over. To really dwell on these first noble truths, those are the preliminary practices for the fourth noble truth. And if you, through your own investigations, and I see our time is coming to an end, and so am I, through your own investigations, that the Buddha said, check it as you would test gold. Check it for all your worth, with all of your intelligence, your imagination, your intu intuition. Check out us, uh, outside sources, reasoning, and so forth, but check it. 
until you get some clarity about the nature of suffering, its source, and the possibility of liberation. And once you've done that, if you get clarity that there may indeed be a path, then consider the path. You've done the groundwork. You're ready for the path. And the path is ethics, samadhi, and wisdom. And so the very first step, as you're setting on the path, bold, betting your life on the notion that in fact you have the possibility to be free. Betting your life on that. Investing everything in that. Then set out on the path and the first thing is clean up your act behaviorally. Clean up your act, my act, everybody's act. But just at the very bare minimum, even if you can die tomorrow and never get a chance to get one, one piece of instruction on shamatha or samadhi, even if you can die tomorrow, clean up your act today in terms of behavior. Don't do any harm. At least be that, let that be your farewell wave. Okay, it took me a while, but I got the last day of my life. On this last day, I didn't do any harm. Not deliberate anyway. And bye. I, got, I finally got it. Bye. And then die. Okay, at least that last day was good. No harm. Ahimsa. Nonviolence. Not with the body, not with the speech, not with the mind. Restrain. Whenever mental affliction comes up, then rise up to meet it. And say, not in my tariff. Not in my territory. I'm going to worry about what mine means later, but from right now, mine means my body, speech, and mind, and I'm not letting you dominate. There's my turf, and you mental fictions have no business here, because I know who my enemy is, and you are it. You may arise, I can't stop it, but you will not dominate my behavior. Scare the crap out of them. <laughs> they get timid. Right? Clean up the act behaviorally, body, speech, and mind. There's your preparation, and then you're ready for shamatha. Those are the preliminary practice of shamatha. So you like the Alan Wallace sect? The, the preliminaries, yeah, the four is already in the path. The four is not preparation, the four is the practice. The preliminary is the first, first three noble truths. So you, you want to join my sect? Yep, I see it. You want to join my sect? Alan Wallaceism? <laughs> of course, this is the most core Buddhism there's ever been, because that's what the Buddha taught in Saranat. He taught the four noble truths, and all five of his disciples became arhats. Those are the, the preliminary practices. They'll do you good. Olaso, we are finished.